Amen. Hey, check this out. One day there was this middle-aged lady and she, she had a heart attack and of course she was rushed off to the hospital and while she's on the operating table though, uh, she had this near-death experience thing, right? And so upon apparently seeing God, she asked him, God, God, is, is this it? And God said, well, no, no, no. You got another, listen, 43 years, two months and eight days to live. Whoa. So upon recovery, the woman figuring since <laughs> she's got so much more time to live, man, she might as well live it up, man, live for herself, right? And so she decided to stay in the hospital. She got this uh, facelift. She got this liposuction thing. She got a tummy tuck, and she even had somebody come in and change her hair color, right? But when she got out of the hospital after that last operation, her hair got done, and she crossed the street, but she was hit and killed again by an ambulance, this time speeding back to the hospital. So upon arriving right back in front of God, she goes, God, what, what's going on here? I, I thought you said I got another 40 some years to go. And God simply replied, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you. <laughs> now, obviously that's a joke because God knows everything, but uh, there is a point in this. But I, I would say the point is this, at least one of them, is that lady learned the hard way, doesn't pay to live for yourself, amen? Right, okay, that's, that's a big obvious one. But also apparently a change in her appearance didn't just cost her her life again. It caused God to, so to speak, not recognize her, okay? And, uh, but believe it or not, folks, I think I found somebody else that's doing the exact same thing, and it's not just one lady, it's a whole bunch of people, men and women. They, they literally have changed their appearance, so if you will, it's like God's going, who are you? And you know who that is? It's the church. It's when we walk around acting like we got this problem called practical amnesia. You talk about uh, false appearances, <laughs> what are we doing? We say we know who we are as the church, but half the time with our lips and our lives, we act like we don't even know who we are. And folks, we've been seeing this not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That could keep somebody from coming to Christ because the lost are watching you and I. We're Christians and we're the only Bible they may ever see. Right? And so to avoid this atrocity of you and I living like practical amnesia people, okay, by not knowing who we are, we're gonna continue our study on the word of God, on the people of God called the character of the church. Now, we've already seen if we're going to knock out this thing called practical amnesia, we've got to remind ourselves that the church is the body of Christ. The second thing, a body of one. The third thing, a body of hope. The fourth thing, a body of joy. The fifth thing, a body of love. And the sixth thing, a body of peace. And last time, if you were here, wasn't this strange? A body of strangers. Huh? Turn to somebody and say it again. I'll give you one more opportunity because it was fantastic. Turn to somebody and say, man, you're strange. No, I mean, really, you're strange, Right? And what we saw is you're not just to be strange for strange sake. You're supposed to be a stranger to the things of this world. In fact, we should be giving the impression to the world that we are strange, that we're not living for this world, right? And they would call us strange on that aspect. But what was the problem? Man, we're not doing that anymore. The American church doesn't look like we're strangers living for heaven. Looks like we've been seduced to live for nothing but this earth, as if that's all there is. Why? Because we saw we have exchanged God's dream for the American dream. It's a nightmare, okay? Treasure in heaven we exchange for trash on earth and a heavenly reward, God's eternal rest, his ultimate retirement plan that only happens when you get there. Instead, this hellish rat race, we've chosen that running crazy hard. And it isn't just, oh, oops. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not like, you know, like Abraham and Paul, a stranger on this earth a foreigner temporary camping trip it's not just that we're ceasing to be a body of strangers folks we're giving the impression the church is a body of stressed out earthbound rats and folks put yourself in the non-christian shoes man come on if all I ever saw from christians apparently that the things on this earth okay were more important than the heaven to come then why would i ever want jesus why would i ever want to go to heaven apparently this place is better that's the problem, okay? But that's not all. The eighth thing we need to know about the church, if we're gonna stop acting like we got this practical amnesia, is the church is the body of disciples. Disciplined learners. I'm gonna learn you, okay? And believe it or not, that's not just, well, Pastor Billy says we gotta learn. No, that's actually a core identity of who we are to be as the church. You shouldn't have to have a sermon to tell you to do it. You shouldn't have to have anybody to tell you to do it. That's who we are. I didn't say that. Jesus did. In fact, it was his last words before going and ascending to the right hand of the Father, which I say would be pretty important. Amen? Okay, open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Is our opening text here, Matthew 28. And again, the time frame here is this is Jesus' last words before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. In fact, Acts chapter 1 also recounts this, and literally he did it visibly, rising up into the clouds right before the very eyes. Okay? But all of Jesus' word is important, but typically when a person, this is their last thing they're gonna share before they go, eh, 
this kind of carry some weight, right? Notice what he said. Of all things we are called to do, we are called to be, while he's at the right hand of the Father, as we're still on this earth as his representatives, notice what he says it is. Matthew 28, starting with verse 16. My, my, my Bible says, uh, a headline here, the grand suggestion. No, I'm sorry. It's the great commission, which, by the way, is an order from Jesus. But here's what he says. Then the 11 what? Disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some had doubted. And then Jesus came to them. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and fill up a big giant building full of people because that's what it's all about nowadays, folks. You know that the, the more people you can cram into that field, who cares if they're even saved? Just get them here. That's right. Because that's what makes for a successful church. No, that's what 95% of the churches out there are trying to do. That's not what Jesus said. You want to be a successful church? What do you do? You get out there and you make what? Oh, notice not just disciples. Sometimes we'll get, oh yeah, it's not just about the numbers. We need to get out there and make believers. He didn't say believers. People can believe all day long. And you better be make sure you're believing on the right thing to get saved. Because if all you do is just believe in God or believe in Jesus like he's, okay, he existed, that's not the gospel. That's not how you get saved. James chapter two says, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. They ain't saved. So a mental ascent is not what it's about. What's the word he used there? Disciples. As we'll see in a second, disciplined learners of what? Of his word. And then he goes on this, of all nations. So it's everywhere. Everywhere we go, to all people. And then you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what do you do? You entertain them. That's what you do. Because again, that's what you gotta do. You gotta get as many people in here as you can. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna have... You can't have a pastor just walk up to the pulpit. No, what you need to do is you need to start from, you got to get a big stage, right? And we need to open up these doors. We'll get a ramp. And what I will do is I will ramp up a motorcycle. Boom, land up here. Get off and do that. See, you're thinking I'm making that up. There's churches that actually have done stuff like that because it's just for the show. But you know, no, you didn't even pass. You know, pulpit, get rid of this pulpit. That's not what we need today that represents the word. Do you realize where this tradition for the pulpit came from? With the reformers, with Martin Luther, who broke away from Roman Catholicism because it's a works-based gospel. It's not the Christianity. Hello, Catholicism, right? When they got saved, and it's by faith alone, solo scriptures, the Bible alone, you know what they did? They went back to where they used to be into these Catholic edifices, and they used to have the lectern way up, separated from the people, because they weren't good enough, right? And what they would do is they would gut the whole place and they didn't used to sit in the beginning. It was all standing. So be thankful for your pew. (laughs) And what they did is they took that lectern way up and they got rid of all the separation and right smack dab in the middle of the place, bang! They popped this and right smack dab in the middle of that thing, they put the Bible. Because that was the message, Uh uh-uh. We're not here for fluff. We're not here for a false gospel. We're not here saying there's an elite who's better than us. We're here for the word of God. But see, even the church, that's not even being done today. Because if you notice, they don't even have these anymore. You know what it is? It's a stool. See, it's a little stool. And on that little stool, okay, I'll put, I'll put the Bible on the stool. But I won't even open it up. And what I'll do is I'll sit over here in my comfy chair, dressed very casually, and I will be your best friend, drinking coffee, telling you about my fluffy cat. And we'll close in prayer. We laugh because what? That's true. That's what the church has turned into. Are you kidding me? This is crazy, but what did Jesus say? You get out there, you go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and you teach them. That's the whole point. That's what we're doing. Teach them to what? Well, you know, you can't, okay, I'll tell you what, those that still got the pulpit here, you know, all right, so that, but you know what we're going to do? I can't teach them everything, because if I teach everything in the Bible, they're going to leave. So I can't teach on prophecy. Well, there goes one third of the Bible. And then last time I preached, and I mentioned, I, I, didn't, I didn't even talk about turning away from it. I just said the word sin. We lost three people. I can, I'm never going to do that again. Oh, who, hell, wrath? Are you kidding? Backsliding? Repentance? What are you trying to do? Gut the church? 
So even those who still had the pulpit, they're not teaching them everything. Folks, this is the apostasy of the last days. But Jesus at the core, right before the church was founded, just a couple chapters later, man, Acts chapter two, he says, here's what you need to be doing first and foremost. Here's my last word. You get out there and you teach them. You make disciples of all nations to teach them to what? To obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You may be seated if you can, right? But a couple things that I want to bring out there, what I haven't already brought out going on this text is Jesus' plan for the church, I think it's common sense. It wasn't just to have a couple disciples, was it? He said, you get out there and you what? You replicate. You get out there and you make a bunch of other what? Disciples, okay? From all over the world. Get out there, go cracking. That's what you're here for. Okay, and, and for those of you who don't know, that's what our Wednesday night studies have been for several years, our discipleship studies. I say this all the time. Uh, it's the word disciple there is the Greek word methetes, which means disciplined learner, right? I believe it's where the word, we get the word mathematics. And we all know the mathematics, if you're gonna succeed at that, you just kind of make it up as you go. Two plus two equals four. I think it means five. Yeah, you try that and you get an F every time. Math is a very disciplined thing it's got rules it's got structure you got if you're going to get good at it you better get into it right and you better be serious about it. Well, that's what he says that we're to be matetes discipline learners of what god's word so this is jesus last words before he all of his words are important but this is his last words and so surely we know this this has got to be the core basic obvious truth of christianity we know as the church bare bones men maybe i don't know everything but i know this the church is to be a body of disciples disciplined learners where where the world looks at you and i and they are just blown away and they make statements like this at you and i wherever we go look at those people now those people have got to be followers of jesus christ i mean look at them they're constantly learning about jesus pouring over his words in the bible day in day out they are just serious about learning everything he commanded and committed to doing it and sharing it with anybody they come across across the world i mean look at them They, they can't put that book down there must be something special in here Maybe I should check it out then. Now, is that what's going on? No. And folks, I'm not talking about those other examples that have gone completely apostate and it's about motorcycles and fluffy cats and not teaching everything if you do even have a pulpit. I'm talking about just average evangelical Christians. Are they really serious about becoming disciples? You look at most churches today, it doesn't look like we're learning all we can about our Lord Jesus Christ. It looks like we're learning all we can about anything, everything but Jesus Christ. And so I'm going, man, what's, what's going on here? How did it turn into this? I mean, why don't we Christians learn about Jesus to the point where we are disciplined learners? That's the core issue of who we are. What happened? How did it get that way? Well, Nathan, thanks for asking. It works well with my notes. I've got a couple of reasons why. And the first one's this. Here's what we're doing. We study trivial things instead of the truth. And the truth being God's word, okay? But you need to study God's word if you're gonna be protected from the lies out there, okay? And get unbrainwashed from the lies that you were under before you got saved, okay? And in fact, Paul says, that's just a logical thing to do, right? Romans chapter 12, verse one through two, Paul says this, therefore I urge you, right? Brothers, in view of God's mercy, now stop right there, we've dealt with this before. This is chapter 12. Anytime you see a, the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it? Therefore, so you got to go back and get the context. The context is basically, hey, God's wrath is being revealed under heaven because man has turned from God. They're worshiping created things instead of the creator. They don't listen to him. They don't acknowledge him. Romans chapter three, that's one and two. Romans chapter three then says that uh, for all have sinned, we all deserve to die and go straight to hell. Uh, There is no one righteous, no one not good. No one doesn't even seek God and they're worthless and all this stuff. We're doomed, we're headed straight to hell. That's serious stuff. But if you get saved through Jesus Christ, Romans chapter eight, man, guess what? Woo, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, eternal security. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, neither hardship, nor persecution, nor famine, nor peril. So I can do all things through Christ. We're more than conquerors through him. He's got me. He's got my back. I can't lose it. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Therefore, you get the context? I urge you in view of that, I eat God's mercy because he didn't have to save us. To offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. See, the Old Testament sacrifices, you brought in somebody else, not you, which does come in handy if you're making a sacrifice. You can think about that later. 
right? But somebody else did it for you, an animal. He says, no, you're to be the sacrifice. And see, after the animal made the sacrifice, they died. Well, that was it. He says, you're to live as a living sacrifice. So every day you should get up, go, Jesus, this life is yours. It's a living sacrifice to you. I sacrifice myself. I sacrifice everything I am to live for you. Every day is a living sacrifice. He says, not only that, that is holy and it's pleasing to God and it's your spiritual act of worship. The spiritual act of worship, it's legikos in the Greek. It's logical. This is the logical act of worship. You don't just say, thank you, God, for saving me in view of your mercy. You say, listen, every day I get up and here's how I say thank you. For the rest of my time on earth, I live for Jesus. Paul says that's logical. And isn't it logical? We're all doomed straight to hell. Nobody could get this there. We can't get out of this mess. And Romans chapter five, I forgot that one. While we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. Woo! The logical response to that, I worship you as a living sacrifice. Not only that, he says this, you better be careful. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this what? This world, the idea they're conform is like metamorphosis. You're going through a change. Something is molding you. He says, now, while you're living as a living sacrifice, be careful. Don't let this world, what? Mold you into its image because it's out there to shape you to everything counter to Christ, right? So how do you counteract that? You transform, you metamorphosize by the renewing of your mind. In what? Back to God's word. That's what you're to conform to, right? And then he says, here's the payoff. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, which of course is in the Bible, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Now, man, again, so much going on in these texts, folks, but the Bible says, if you really, and I really want to appreciate the mercy of God, listen, we don't just say, hey, thank you, Jesus. What do we do? We show it with these lives every single day. We are to stop living for ourselves. We are to stop living for this world. And every single day, we are to start sacrificially living for Jesus. When we literally get out of bed, God, this is your life, not mine. God, use this life, as Paul says, an instrument of righteousness, not an instrument of wickedness. It's not about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. It's about Jesus every single day. But not only that, he says, we not only start living that way, he says, you need to stop thinking the way this world does. You need to counteract it and renew your mind with what? The word of God. Why? Folks, it's common sense. How many guys right after you got saved and you started reading the word of God, which by the way, was a natural thing. You didn't have to wait for a sermon. Well, I've been saved for 19 years. Somebody finally preached on why I need to get in the Bible. I guess I better get in the Bible. No, you automatically want to get in there. That's the spirit of God in you, leading you into all truth, into God's truth. It's a natural desire in a relationship. And so you're in there, but listen, you're a brand new Christian. You're saved, but all of a sudden, the more you read, you go, I didn't know that. Oh, I better better stop. Whoa. And the more, what's happening? You're renewing your mind. Why? Because all the time you spent and I spent before getting saved, we were brainwashed by the lies of this wicked world system. Here's how you're supposed to act. Here's how you're supposed to behave. Here's what you're supposed to believe. Here's what you're supposed to do or not do. And it's all contrary to the word of God. So you got to get in there as soon as you get saved, man, and start that process. Let God mold you. How many times do we say, oh God, conform me to the image of Christ? How do you think that happens? You put this under your pillow, and through night, it leaches through, through like a reverse spiritual osmosis. You wake up the next day, I am more like Jesus. I wish it worked that way. But it doesn't. You got to get in there. You got to read it. You got to renew your mind is what he says. Don't let this world mold you. You got to unmold it. You got to listen. This is the only book on the planet. Listen, Christian. It's the only book on the planet that unbrainwashes you from the brainwash of this world. And I'll never forget, before I got saved, you know what? The enemy's so slick, he does everything opposite of God. Of course, he's the devil, right? I used to think that this book, that Christians were a bunch of dumb, duped idiots, but that they had to have a book tell them what to do. I didn't need that. And I also said those who read this book were actually being brainwashed, and yet after getting saved, I realized this is the only book that unbrainwashes me from the lies of this world. Can you imagine if somebody was told, hey, you know what? You have been totally brainwashed. We were in this secret, you know, secret CIA operation. I'm sorry to tell you, we used you. 
But you know what? You're out of the service now, so we'll tell you what we did to you. You know, but, but see, you're brainwashed right now. You're not thinking straight. You're living in a world of illusion. But we're here for you. What we're going to do is we're going to give you the codes to unbrainwash you so you can get back to living a normal, productive life. Here you go. All you got to do is read it. No, I don't like you. What is this, legalism? What do you, is that what you're doing right now? You're trying to preach? Who do you think you are? What are you trying to call me dumb? What are you, what are you saying? Should I, uh? no, that would be goofy, right? Who wouldn't want to say, yeah, please unbrainwash me? Folks, that's what's happening every time we get in the Bible. Do you realize this? And then it also exposes the truth. The truth is the only thing that counteracts the lies. Are you sick and tired of being lied to? Do, do lies profit us? Do they lead us in a great, wonderful direction? No, they cause destruction. Aren't you tired of living like that? Aren't you tired of living under those brainwashed methods? Unbrainwash yourself right here. And that's what Paul says. You've got to renew your mind, okay? And so surely we know this. I mean, if we're gonna be unbrainwashed from the lies of this world, then we've got to be studying God's word. That's what we do every day. Man, folks, let's be honest. If we get around, even as Christians, I'm talking evangelicals, not the motorcycle people, not the fluffy cat people, I'm talking evangelical Christians. If we even get around studying anything, what is it usually about? It's anything and everything but God's word. And then when we feel convicted, we just make all these resolutions that never pass, right? Or just the little spurts. It's like, what is going on here? Here's what we do. I mean, we're all busy. So you got a little bit of time. What do, we, what do we invest in? Maybe it's memorizing the latest statistics on sports figures or sports events. Maybe, maybe it's compiling data on how to be physically fit and how to have this incredible new keto diet. Get ginkgo. It'll revolutionize your life. No, maybe it's, it's what little free time we have. It's, it's reading all the best-selling novels out there. I mean, all these murder mysteries and all this crazy stuff. And speaking of the CIA, all Tom Clancy and all this stuff. And, did you hear what they were doing? And, but in general, whatever we study, if we, even if we get around to studying, it's usually what? It's anything and everything but God's truth. Now, on the one hand, this isn't legalism. Okay? Uh, is there anything wrong, per se, about... Studying sports statistics in, in general? No. If you got time to read a, a novel that, of course, is not sinful, blah, no. Right? Hey, if you want to try to do better health and stuff, I'm not, I'm not against that. But here's the point. Not at the expense of never getting into this book. If all you ever got time, it's just a little bit of time, but it's always on something else, as if God's blind. What, what are we doing? Okay, yeah, you've been in God's book. You got so much this book oozing out of your ears and I'm talking every single day. Then if you want to go and do that stuff, hey, whatever. But that's not what we're doing. That's not even close to what we're doing. If we only have a little time to study, why not make it the truth of God's word instead of the trivia of man? And here's the deal. What do you, which one do you think benefits your life the most? See, you're making an investment right now not coming not in the future not next week not the next year's resolution but right now right now your life your mind everything about you and I'm talking born again Christian is being conformed to something you realize that something right now is conforming you it's not coming it's not gonna be later it's right now what is it that is conforming your mind because what you believe in your mind dictates how you behave so what is controlling not only your mind, but it goes into your behavior? No wonder the enemy goes after the mind. No wonder he doesn't want you in here because if you renew your mind, guess what also changes? Your behavior. You start to look like, act like, speak like, dare I say, you start to look like a disciple of Christ. Can't have that. So hey, let's just, can't take away your salvation. Let's just take away your time. Everything else but the Bible. And you'll be conformed to that image. But again, where's the power come from? Even just for our own benefit, studying the God's word. All those other things, is that really where you tap into power to make yourself feel better in that trial? Because we're gonna have trials, right? Let me give you a case in point. I mean, maybe you're having marriage trouble. It happens, right? And is this what you say to encourage yourself during those times? Praise God. (laughs) Yes, I've been making wise investments, man. I'm ready for this one. I know who won the Super Bowl 10 years in a row. My marriage is going to be just fine. Yeah, I feel strong. 
No, I hope not, or you're in trouble. No, no, I know, uh, um, you're having financial difficulties. It happens, it happens, right? You know, and so, so you're talking to your kids, you know, and you say, hey kids, you know, listen, I know times are tough right now. I know, and you know too, but you know what? You know, we're, we're gonna be okay, because you know why? I've been making good investments. I know the 87 reasons why your diet needs to have vitamin C specifically. I do. And kids, you know what? I just went out and I bought 18 years worth. I had to use a wheelbarrow to get a home of ginkgo. Kids, we got ginkgo. We're going to be fine. Finances are turning around now. No. Let me give you one more. Hey, maybe your health is failing. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you cry out to God. You say, God, I'm, I'm in dire straits here. I, but, you know, but, but God, I, I, I'm at peace. I'm at peace in the midst of this. Because you know what, God? I've been making a wise. I've been reading every best-selling novel. I can get my hands on. My healing's on the way. Woo! What? Is that what we do when tough times hit? Are you kidding me? What do you do? Or what? And maybe this is the reason why tough times throw you for a loop for a long time because you're not making the right investment. I don't know about you, but when tough times hit, because Jesus said, listen, heaven comes later. This ain't heaven. You're going to have hardships and trials and persecution down here. He told us what's going to happen. You know what I turn to? I turn to what I've been renewing in my mind, and I'm not saying this to boast. This is the power of God's word. I turn back to what? You got some troubles? Hey, God will never leave me nor forsake me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor the children begging for bread. Uh, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God will take care of all my needs in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through him. Speaking of the names of God, God is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. He's my rock, my fortress, my defense, my high tower. God is able. And of course, I just got that this morning, reading Reader's Digest. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Folks, think about it. Do we call upon the power of the trivia of man in our hard times or the word of God? And maybe that's when, not if, you go through hard times, it just smacks you for a loop because you're not making the wise investment. If you never study God's truth, how in the world can you ever benefit from it? But not only that, folks, how in the world can we call ourselves disciples of Christ if that's all we ever do is learn anything and everything but about Jesus Christ? Oh, you're a disciple, all right, because listen, every one of us in this room is a disciple of something or someone. The question is, is it really Jesus? Or is it this world? And again, hey, if you want to live that way, If you want to study God's truth uh, once in a blue moon and focus your studies on the trivia of man, hey man, that's your choice, but it doesn't stop with you. It's not just a distraction in your walk with Christ. Listen, it could keep somebody else from coming to Christ. Folks, here's the premise. The the lost, they're not dumb. They're watching us. Think about it from the non-Christian's point of view. If Christians have no desire to study the Bible, then why would I want to study it? Apparently there's nothing good in there for me because you could give a rip. Wow. Second reason why we're no longer disciples of Christ, we study flippantly instead of consistently. Uh, now I feel really guilty, man. I better get in the Bible. <laughs> oh, you might start off good for a couple of days, then you go right back where you came from. Or once in a blue moon. Or, you know, once a month. That's, that's good enough, right? Man, that ain't the goal. Let's take a look at what Paul says here in Colossians to the church, right? Every time you meet, this is what's going to be going on here. Colossians three sixteen. let the word of Christ dwell in you Where's it at? Richly is the word that's used there. We'll get to that in just a second. In fact, so much so that you got so much of the word of God, what's the spillover effect? (laughs) You got it bubbling all over the place. You teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And he's talking about when you get together as the church, as Christians, when you gather together. And then, yes, of course, you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Every time when you get together. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the goal. That's the mindset. And so what he says here, and we like that second part, right? Paul says that, you know, when the church gets together, every time we do, we, we need to sing and, and, and we need to praise God with gratitude. Man, these ain't just songs, right? This is, these are love songs to Jesus. Woohoo! yeah, let's go home. No. What's the other reason why we gather? You don't just get into the word of God. You get into the word of God so much so that it what? It dwells in you flabbily, uh, bankruptly. 
Yes, I know that's not a word, but it works with my sermon. <laughs> now it's supposed to be what? Richly. Now listen to this. It's cool. This is the Greek word plusias. Let's say that. Plusias. Sounds like a foreign disease, but it really means this. It means not just richly. It means abundantly. Man, you got so much of it, you don't even know what to do. Right? You got so much the biblical knowledge in you, you do. You carry it around with a wheelbarrow on your back. You ain't got no backpack. In fact, you know what? You're going to have to go out. You got so much of it. You went from the wheelbarrow. You went from the backpack to the wheelbarrow. You, you're just driving around in a U-Haul. You got to have something to store it in, man. You got so much word of God in you. It's all over the place. And then when you get together, you got so much of it. What's the natural spillover? When you learn the word of God and it's in you richly and you got so much, what happens? I got to share it. It's natural, right? When you learn something, oh, it's, this is amazing. I can't believe. I just learned plusios. Yeah, I got to share it with you. This is amazing. I can't believe. Uh, taste in the Greek. It's amazing. I'm Greeking out. And that's what he says. We, we got so much of the word of God every time. That you're sharing something. I'm sharing something. They're sharing something. We got, man, we teach one another. We admonish. What's admonish? Don't go the world's way. Because the word of God is not just for training and righteousness and encouragement, correction and rebuke. Because sometimes we get off track. But that's for our good, right? Don't you want somebody to love you enough to tell you the truth, especially if you're going down a bad road? Mm-hmm. So you got the word of God in your man. You're sharing it wherever you go. And so here's the point. Surely that's what we're doing, right? I mean, we, we know that if we're gonna get to the point where we got so much of God's word in us, it's richly, it's bubbling all over the place and we've got to share it, then how are you gonna get to that point? It's common sense. You gotta be in there consistently. Day in, day out. Which again, nobody should have to twist your arm. It's just a wonderful side effect of being a disciple of Christ. It's just a matter of time. You're, it's going to happen to you. So we're in there consistently, man. We're studying God's word. And you know, in fact, we are taking advantage of every opportunity we can to learn from people who it's already dwelling in richly. Because I want to get to that point. I remember when I first got saved. And again, I'm not saying this to boast, but by way of example, I didn't, I didn't hear a sermon on it. Nobody gave me a tract about it. When I got saved, the very first thing that happened the very next day, I immediately got rid of everything. Got rid of all my occult stuff that I was involved in. Uh, got rid of everything that was associated with my past. Music, books, literature, even clothing, uh, and things of that nature. It, and nobody gave me, why? Because, hey, listen, you're going to live for God, you live for God. You don't try this middle-of-the-road approach. Not only that, you know what I did immediately? Of course, this is pre-internet days. I had to go to the phone book. Remember that thing? Remember the thing? Kids, it was, it was weird. First of all, a mouse back in those days was something you tried to kill. <laughs> was, right? And you had to go to this ancient device that was yellow. In fact, they called it Yellow Pages. It was crazy. And inside this old tech device, you would go look things up. See how hard we had it? You got it easy. No, so I had to go to the phone book, right? And I'm doing what? I need to go to a church service. Why do I want to go to church service? Because I want to be around like-minded people who also love Jesus. And I want to learn. And then that wasn't enough. I found one that go on Sundays. And then I looked at the thing. Oh, they have another service on Wednesday. I'm going to that thing too. What's that? I, I met some guys. They said they had a, a Friday night men's Bible study. I'm going to that too. Nobody me. Everything I get my hands on. Why? Because I want to follow Jesus. I want to learn. I spent 25 years learning the junk and the lies and the brainwashing of this wicked world system. No more. I want to devote my time to Christ. And then eight weeks later, into Bible college, which I thought everybody should do. Which is why we have an internship program and which is why we have our Wednesday night studies because can I tell you something? All these years, I'm going to let a secret out today. You know the classes we've been going through on Wednesday nights? There are actually courses you would get if you went to Bible college. <laughs> we all should learn to that degree. But that's, I mean, nobody had to twist my arm. That's just a natural thing. That's what we're doing, right? We're, we're, we're being responsible with all the opportunities to grow in God's word. No excuses, man. I, hey, that's all by the side now. I'm gonna do what it takes to make sure I'm there to learn God's word. And they ain't doing that. And again, my story, hey, Pastor Bill, I don't know what got into you. Again, that chicken juice. Did you eat swamp chicken over the holidays? What's wrong with you? 
Right, so, so I'm a little irregular in my attendance to church services and Bible studies. And all right, if I was to be a little bit honest today, I'm a frequent visitor of the Church of St. Mattress with Pastor I.B. Snoozen of the Bedside Sheets Assembly. Okay, but God knows my heart. I'm a faithful disciple of Christ. Really? Well, I came across a letter that some people apparently wrote to a pastor about being a faithful member. And you tell me if they were really a faithful member. All right, let's take a look at this. They said, dear pastor, you often stress attendance at church services as being very important for a Christian. Mm-hmm. But I think a person has a right to miss now and then and, and be excused for the following reasons and the number of times they indicate. It's just gonna happen. So they started going through this list. Well, first of all, Christmas, the Sunday before and after, because, you know, that's at least, you know, uh, uh, one, really two, you know, but, you know, one of the ones, you know, it's going to happen. You can't just ditch the family, so, you know, whatever. And New Year's, (laughs) party lasted too long, you know, it's just going to happen, what are you going to do? Hey, Easter, Resurrection Day, you know, got to get away from the holidays, you know, that's going to be one, I can't be there or here. July, hey, what, you can't say, what, I can't be patriotic? You know, I'm going to miss that one, got to go barbecue or something. Labor Day, speaking of barbecue, we got to get away, you know, it's just been a hard year, and it's a good time to just kind of kick it in. No, Memorial Day, right? You, you got to go visit the hometown, you know, the family and all that stuff. And, and no, no, school closing. The kids need a break. You know what I'm saying? They just, it's just, they're, they got to, it's been a hard year, man. They've been, that, they're going to miss one there. School opens. Yeah, you got to have one last fling. It's, it's kind of counteracting what happened during the summer and, and all that stuff. And no, family reunions. Hey, we're married. So guess what? Do the math. That means two. Mine and my wife's, it's just going to happen, right? Hey, sleep late. Hey, it happens to everybody. So, ah, you know, once a quarter, you know, that's four times there. And hey, deaths in the family, what are you going to do? You got to go to that. You, get, you know, there's no option. That's four people there or four times. Anniversary, second honeymoon, man. We got to invest in that marriage, right? You got, it, it, that's going to be one uh, a year. Sickness, hey, uh, one for each family, you know, do the math. Okay, that's about five. You know, some people more. And business trips, hey, you got to bring home the bacon. It's going to happen. That's going to be at least three. Vacation, hey, well, come on. You got to get out and do something in rocks once in a while that's three right there bad weather I mean hey could be ice could be snow could be rain those clouds I tell you what if those clouds I, I can't drive in clouds because clouds humidity barometric pressure oh I did I forgot about that it should really be more than six uh, uh, ball games hey what come on you know it's just you know something to have fun and you know and so that's five right there unexpected come, I mean we're Christians you can't walk out on them you know it's gonna happen that's five right there time changes spring ahead fall back you never make it there and in fact I'm not even gonna try because there was that one time when I did and I got there an hour early. Your life is over. Oh, that's all. Then you got a Super Bowl TV. Man, that's coming up, man. It's going to happen because we all got to get together. That's so pastor, that leaves only two Sundays per year. So you can count on us to be in church service on the fourth Sunday in February and the third Sunday in August unless, of course, providentially hindered, right? Sincerely, faithful member. Yeah. That would be funny if one. It weren't so true. And I think I've heard just about over 20-some years of being a pastor, every one of those excuses. Who's kidding who, right? Faithful member. Now again, please don't misunderstand me. This has nothing to do with Christian legalism. Because there are those that promote that. That's not what I'm talking about. If you come, I'm hoping and praying desperately it's because you're in a love relationship with Jesus Christ and that's your motive. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. But this has nothing to do with Christian legalism. It has everything to do with Christian learning. It's common sense. And folks, think about this from a secular point of view. We drill this into our kid's head. What do we say to them, right? If our kids are ever gonna succeed in academic things, if you're gonna get that education that you desperately gotta have, what do you gotta do? You've got to be faithful and consistent consistent with your studies, right? Why? Otherwise, you're going to get an F. And if you get an F all the time, then you're not going to get a job. You can't get a job, blah, blah, blah. Right? This is, we all, everybody has that conversation. Why? Because it's common sense. If you hardly ever take school serious and you never hardly ever go to school, it's all flippantly, that's what you're going to get. And you wonder why you're getting an F right now in your walk with Jesus Christ. You wonder why you're getting an F right now in your witness for Jesus Christ. You wonder why you're getting an F in how you react to the problems that come to everybody on this planet. And there is no joy, there is no peace, all the studies we've talked before. Maybe it's because that's how you're treating God's word. It's flippantly, whenever. It's like a spare tire in the trunk. 
if the kids kept their books in the trunk the whole time, what kind of grade they're gonna get? We're more concerned about that than about this. And dare I say, not just for us as adults, but is this what we're investing in the next generation, our own children? Or is this all about the secular? And then you wonder why the statistics are this. 80 some percent, I think it's up to 88%, it's really high 80 number, of kids growing up in Christian homes walk away from Christianity their first year in college. You know what that tells me? Somebody, not just themselves, they didn't invest that which is most important in their own children. And they walked away. If you want to live like that, hey, that's between you and God. I certainly don't recommend it. But you need to realize, folks, it doesn't stop with you. That could keep somebody else from coming to Christ. Because the message we're sending, and we're sending a message whether you realize or not, the non-Christian, if Christians have no desire to go to church services or Bible studies or anything on a regular basis, why should they? Apparently it's no benefit to you. It's not gonna benefit me. So why mess with it? Wow. One more to go as we close. Speaking of the secular education, all right, we finally get around. We get serious about studying, man. We get serious about being a disciple. But what's the motive and what is it that we're serious about studying? We study for personal gain instead of godly gain. Folks, when you study, it's not about just you. In fact, Paul says this about Timothy, right? We'll couple this with another verse from Timothy about Timothy. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, 20 through 22. Listen to what Paul says. I got no one else like him. And he's speaking to Timothy. He said, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. What's the welfare? The welfare of the church. Spiritual things. Other people. He said, because everyone looks out for what? His own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the church. Even Paul had to deal with people professing to know Christ. The bottom line is, they're still living for who? Their own interests. It's about them. It's not about Jesus. He says, but not Timothy, man. But you know that Timothy, he's proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of sharing the gospel. So Paul is saying, Timothy, he's the real deal, man. Because he ain't living for himself anymore. He's concerned about the church. He's concerned about Jesus Christ. He's concerned about sharing Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul also says elsewhere, as we know, he tells Timothy what? You need to not just study the word of God. You need to study yourself to show yourself approved unto God. Why? So you can rightly handle it. When you're sharing it, you're sharing it correctly. That's Timothy. That's the example. And Paul says, that's my guy. That's a Christian. That's somebody who's gonna take the baton to the next generation. Because he's serious about the word of God to handle it correctly. He's serious about it. It ain't about me. It's about serving Jesus Christ, getting the gospel out, and accurately sharing God's truth. So surely that's what we're doing. No. We, if we get around to being serious about studying, again, unfortunately, most of the time, it's not for God to gain. It's not for the benefit of our own spiritual walk with Jesus Christ and other people. It's, it's just for personal gain. We, we, we don't study like Timothy to deliver God's message accurately. We study so we can just get a bigger paycheck. And let me expose that because this has become a way of life even in the church. The purpose of an education is not to get a good job. The purpose of an education is to show yourself approved unto God. The purpose of an education is to get equipped to serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? Okay. One guy puts it this way. He says, it becomes, it becomes too easy to think that being a Christian is somebody who just believes all the right stuff. He says, I want you to believe in Jesus and, and I want you to believe that he died on the cross for his sins. I want you to believe that he was resurrected. I want you to believe that he's here and now and he wants to establish a personal relationship with you. But listen to me, you can believe all the right stuff and not love Jesus and not love other people in fact, as a matter of fact, the church is filled with those people who believe the right stuff, but they don't love. I know what you're gonna say. You're gonna say, wait a second, wait a second, come on now. You're making this Christianity thing just, just too hard. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, I didn't mind this belief stuff, you know, check the test here, but you expect me to change the whole way I live? Of course I do. That's what Christianity's all about. It's about changing the whole way you live, being conformed to the image of Christ. 
Maybe you don't like this Jesus. Maybe you don't like this Jesus who says, if anyone be my disciple, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Maybe you don't like him, that's okay. Reject him. But for goodness sake, don't call yourself a follower of Christ if you're not. The Jesus that I tell you is radical, the biblical Jesus. He's totally radical, extremely radical. He calls you to a whole new lifestyle, a dangerous lifestyle, a threatening lifestyle. Because the day you were a kid, from the day you were a kid, they drilled into your head to fit into the system. Your parents did it, the church did it, the school did it. They said, get a good education. And you talk about dropping out of school, they go absolutely nuts. And then, and then if you ask, why should I get a good education? The same answer they say every time. If you get a good education, you'll be able to get a good job and a good one a job is one that is giving you a lot of money he said stop and think about how unchristian that is you need to go to college you need to get a good education but the purpose of an education is to not make enough money to buy a bunch of endless things the purpose of an education is to equip yourself to serve other people in the name of jesus christ And folks, we've dealt with this before, but believe it or not, our country was founded on those principles. Why did our founding fathers set up the education system they did? Why did they want every American citizen to learn how to read so they could read the Bible? You understand that? It wasn't about a job. Let me give you some of that proof again, right? The first colleges formed in America, 123 out of 126 were formed on Christian principles. Up until 1900, it was very rare to find a university president who was not an ordained clergyman. The New England Primer, America's first textbook for 210 years, taught the alphabet like this. A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. Z, Zacchaeus, he did climb the tree, our Lord to see. The 107 questions at the end of the New England Primer was questions like this. What offices does Christ execute as our redeemer? How does Christ execute the office of a priest? What was the requirement of the fifth commandment? What are the benefits which in this life do flow and accompany from justification, adoption, and sanctification? That was elementary school. There's adults who don't even know how to answer that. Even in the church, right? That was our textbook, 210 years. George Washington made it clear that American schools would teach the Indian youth the religion of Jesus Christ, and Congress, believe it or not, assisted in doing so. In fact, in 1782, Congress had 10,000 Bibles printed for use in where? Schools, right? Benjamin Rush said, the only means of establishing and perpetuating our Republican forms of government is the universal education of our youth in the principles of what? Christianity and by means of the Bible. Why do they want our kids, our future progeny to learn to read it was to get into the bible why because listen the constitution the bill of rights was just a shell that can't control people's hearts but god's word can if you get saved and apply it by his spirit that's how our country was set up thomas jefferson wrote the first plan of education for washington dc he adopted two textbooks the bible and watts hymnal he hired clergymen to be teachers if you don't know what watts hymnals was it's all chuck full of bible verses So you got the Bible and Bible songs and pastors teaching you. And that's Thomas Jefferson. So some people say they don't even believe he was a Christian. He was a deist. That's not too bad for a deist. But that's what they did. 1854, the Webster's Dictionary still had biblical definitions, Bible verses in it, and Webster's own testimony of personally receiving Christ as his savior. They ripped that out, didn't they? America's first school was Harvard, 1636, founded by Reverend John Harvard. The motto for their, the school was, for Christ in the church. That ain't what's going on today. And they said, here's what, here's the requirements. You want to come to this school? Let every scholar be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider, well, the main end of his life and studies. Why do you study? Why do you even study all the way to Harvard? Is to know God in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Because if you don't know God and Jesus Christ, if you don't have eternal life, you ain't gonna turn out to be the citizen that we need to maintain the freedoms in our country. You know what? I think our founding fathers would be rolling over in the grave. I'm not talking just in the world, folks. I'm talking in the church. We are so concerned. You gotta get an education. You gotta get this. And you gotta study. And you gotta do this. And you got this secular. If you don't have a degree, you know, you know, I don't want you serving french fries the rest of your life. You, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. And you gotta do the plan. Are we doing the same with God's word? Are we that fervently encouraging our children and showing them by example, not being hypocrites? Do as I say, not what I do. That we've got to get in there 
and study God's word? Hey, could this be the reason why we're seeing our country lose Christian morals and values? Could it be because we're no longer educating ourselves in Christian morals and values? That we have rolled over and let them hijack even our school system? And so listen, the world is molding the generations now, not God's word. And you wonder why they come out the way they're coming out today. And each succeeding generation, it gets worse. But again, you might, hey, Pastor Billy, you're just too radical. You're, I don't know what's wrong with you. Did somebody park in your spot? I mean, you're just too harsh here. All right, so you got me. You got me today. I, I, I only study trivial things instead of God's truth. And I study flippantly instead of consistently. And, I, and if I do get around studying, it's, it's all about me, you know, and the money and better to advance myself. And, but it just affects me. No. When you refuse Christian to become a disciple of Christ, it affects our whole country. Why has our nation completely turned on its head? It ain't just because of the world. It's because of us. Let's watch this again. Dear God, why didn't you save the school children at Moses Lake, Washington, Bethel, Alaska, Pearl, Mississippi, West Paducah, Kentucky, Stamp, Arkansas, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, Fayetteville, Tennessee, Springfield, Oregon, Richmond, Virginia, Littleton, Colorado, Tabor, Alberta, Canada, Conyers, Georgia, Deming, New Mexico, Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, Santee, California, El Cajon, California, Blacksburg, Virginia. Sincerely, Concerned Student. Reply. Dear Concerned Student, I am not allowed in schools. Sincerely, God. How did this get started? I think it started when Madeline Murray O'Hare complained she didn't want any prayer in our schools. And we said, okay. Then someone said you better not read the Bible in school. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and love your neighbors yourself. And we said, okay. Dr. Benjamin Spock said we shouldn't spank our children when they misbehave because their personalities would be warped and we might damage their self-esteem. And we said, an expert should know what he's talking about, so we won't spank them anymore. Then someone said, teachers and principals better not discipline our children when they misbehave. And the school administrator said, no faculty member in this school better touch a student when they misbehave because we don't want any bad publicity and we surely don't want to be sued and we accepted their reasoning. Then someone said, let's let our daughters have abortions if they want, and they won't even have to tell their parents. And we said, that's a grand idea. Then some wise school board member said, since boys will be boys and they're going to do it anyway, let's give our sons all the condoms they want so they can have all the fun they desire, and we won't have to tell their parents they got them at school. And we said, that's another great idea. Then some of our top elected officials said, it doesn't matter what we do in private, as long as we do our jobs. And we said, it doesn't matter what anybody, including the president, does in private, as long as we have jobs and the economy is good. And someone else took that appreciation a step further and published pictures of nude children, and then steps further by making them available on the internet. And we said, everyone's entitled to free speech. And the entertainment industry said, let's make TV shows and movies that promote profanity, violence, and illicit sex. And let's record music that encourages rape, drugs, murder, suicide, and satanic themes. And we said, it's just entertainment, and it has no adverse effect, and nobody takes it seriously anyway. So go right ahead. Now we're asking ourselves why our children have no conscience, why they don't know right from wrong, and why it doesn't bother them to kill strangers, classmates, or even themselves. Undoubtedly, if we thought about it long and hard enough, we could figure it out. Surely it has a great deal to do with we reap what we sow. What you put in your mind, what you believe, dictates how you behave. We're all disciples of something, someone, somebody. But what's going on? Our country has made a statement, we refuse to be disciples of God anymore. 
Is it really that hard to figure out? Why? Why is our great and mighty Christian nation turned into a society of such great wickedness and rebellion right before our era? Because we kicked them out. We kicked God's word out. Christians, we rolled over. We let it happen. And then it just, we didn't just let it happen. We're not even doing it ourselves. We have kicked God's word out on purpose out of our hearts, our homes, our schools, our media, our government, even our courtrooms, and we're paying a heavy price. It's called destruction. You will reap what you sow. And if you don't want to be conformed to the image of Christ, you will be conformed to the image of the God of this world, little G, Satan. And you wonder why everything is turning out devilish and people are acting like little devils. Because that's who they're being conformed to. We have become a part of the problem, not the solution. The great revival passage in Chronicles. If the world will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. No, if my people, God's people. You know when revival happens? Revival happens when the people of God get right with God. We, we see, we skip that first part. The first part is humble yourself. We, we skip that and we just go, oh, pray. No, praise number two. You need to humble yourself. Are you humbled yet? How bad does it have to get before you get back on your knees and serve and live your life as a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ? Are you humble yet? Then when you're back in that state, yes, pray to God. And that's it. Just get back up and continue the way you live. No, turn from your wicked ways. And seek his face daily. Get back on track. Then I will heal your land. The problem isn't with our wicked world. The problem is with the church wanting wickedness. The problem isn't that the world is getting darker by the day. The problem is we're not turning on the light that naturally dispels the darkness. And it's really not that complicated. I don't know. How am I going to do it? How am I going to be part of this? You know what? Let me just break it down for you. We need to not just say that the Bible came from God. We need to show the world that it came from God. And you know how we do that? We just treat it at least as we normally do with our cell phone. Watch this. What if our Bible were just as important as our cell phone? We treated it like we couldn't live without it. When we forgot it, we went back to get it. We had lots of gadgets to keep us connected to it. We always had it close by in case of an emergency. We carried it around in our purses and pockets. We checked it throughout the day for new messages. We were constantly going over our minutes every month. We made sure our battery never ran low. Yeah. Yeah, what if our Bible was just as important as our cell phone? Nobody has to twist your arm to pick that up, do they? I'll tell you what would happen. I think we not only experience a personal revival ourselves, I think people would take us much more serious when we start talking about Jesus and the Bible. And you know what? I think we'd finally be back on track of God's solution for revival to take place in our own country. If my people, not the world, God's people has to get right with him first. Otherwise, revival's never coming. That's why I say every time, folks, if we can't stop playing church instead of being the church, maybe it's time you get out of the church. 
Why? Because being a Christian is not a game. What we say, what we do, literally affects the eternal destiny of people around us. It is high time we get rid of this thing called practical amnesia. We've got to remember who we are. We are not a bunch of distracted, disinterested people in Jesus Christ. We are disciplined learners of Jesus Christ. We are his body, a body of disciples. Let's show them that there's something that they need in this book. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not. I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? 
It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.